is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you, you better get out early. Welcome in here on this Tuesday afternoon. So much to get to. Thank you so much for making A to Z and Locked On Sports Atlanta part of your daily regimen. Give us a follow at Locked On ATL as well on Twitter. I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Appreciate you guys joining us. Lauren Jabara will join us from Miami as the Hawks take on the heat tonight. We'll get to that coming up here in a little bit. Also, an interesting draft strategy out there by somebody who believes the Falcons shouldn't take a quarterback, but yet the strategy says otherwise. We'll get to that also on today's show, but we do start with the Atlanta Hawks in front of them who have a monumental task here in game two in Miami against the Heat. Uh, And I say it's monumental and on the heels of game one, as I've repeatedly said, I think the Hawks are in trouble. It feels like they're in trouble. But before I confirm that suspicion, uh, I want to see how the first quarter goes tonight because I think it's so important. I think it's so important for the Hawks to start fast tonight. Like they need to actually have a lead in the first quarter. They need to keep Miami chasing. Their offense needs to be able to get out and play with some pace and make shots early because I don't know – how much momentum they're going to be able to create if they find themselves in a 26 to 12 hole like they did the first time around in game one. And while I'm not necessarily writing the Hawks off completely, I think there is a certain amount of underselling of Miami that not only has the national media done, but in general, I think all season long, there haven't been all that many solid believers in Miami as far as the quality of the team that they are. Talked about their depth yesterday. Talked about how good they are on defense, how athletic they are. I mean, all of these things were were on full display in game one. And I'm not sure because I haven't seen it yet against this Miami team who who had a better showing in the regular season against the Hawks than than many other teams did. And I haven't seen the Hawks be able to counterpunch yet against Miami. And that, to me, is problematic. Uh, It's problematic because the Hawks are on the road. It's problematic because their defense is lacking. It's problematic because their offense struggles against this Miami defense. I I hate to sound all doom and gloom. I really do. Um, And and I am not down on this Hawks team. Uh, Full disclosure, again, I'm backing them tonight getting the points because I do think they'll be able to keep it closer. I do think that the non-travel and the rest and everything will give them a chance to be a little bit rejuvenated. I certainly think that, you're not going to hold Trey Young to eight points two games in a row. Like, that's not going to happen. Trey Young will be in the 20s today. I'm just not sure how much in the 20s he'll be. Um, but if he doesn't score, you know, eight, 10, 12 points in the first half of this game, then it feels like Miami might have the answer to slowing him down. And I've listened to sports radio in this town all across the board here. And, and I hear people talk about the Hawks and I hear people talk about Trey. And he is, yes, he's very disrespected. And he does not get the recognition he should get to the level he should get it for the player that he is. I mean, again, the guy's not going to get an MVP vote. He led the league in points and an assist this year. (laughs) You know, I don't know what what else to tell you. Second player in NBA history ever do that. So I I think he is 
not as respected or not as valued as he is. But when I take this series in a vacuum and I look at the Heat and I match him up against the Hawks, I, I don't know that it works out well. Uh, and that's just being objective about this whole thing. You know, I'd love for the Hawks to go on another deep playoff run and be able to, to, to shock the world for two years in a row. But this Miami team is at just a different level of defense. Um, and outside of Boston, it may be the best defense in the league. And that is not something that the Hawks have adjusted well to. The Hawks do great this year, and I'm talking this year. The Hawks do great this year against mediocre and bad defenses. They eat, the, they take their lunch money. They beat the crap out of them. Go see the Charlotte game. You know, that's what it is. They take advantage of average defenses like Cleveland. And I know statistically Cleveland wasn't an average defense, but they don't play to the physicality and the level. And they don't have the depth that Miami does. So I think it's a little bit of a different level. And Cleveland's numbers this year, some of that was a product of them being very good early on and fading in the second half. I mean, really, Cleveland's defense since like late February has been bad. Uh, and, and the Hawks were, were, were able to take advantage of that in, in the final play-in game. But I just don't know that I see a whole lot from the Hawks against Miami. I mean, Trey's got to get going early. Who knows what you're going to get from John Collins? Uh, and there's got to be uh, two or two more secondary scorers, whether it's Gallinari, whether it's Bogdanovich, uh, who, whoever it may be, whether it's DeAndre Hunter, whoever, somebody else has got to contribute early. It can't just be all Trey. It really can't because if nobody else is contributing, Miami's defense doesn't have to do any other work. All they got to do is focus on one person, Trey. And that's a big task. Uh, and Trey can still go off and get 28 in this game. And the and the the Hawks still lose by a considerable amount. If nobody else is chipping in, the Hawks need more scoring from other people. And maybe it'll be John Collins, but it, it didn't look like that from what he showed us in game one, at least in the first half. Like if you're just taking the first half sample set, because we know that the fourth quarter didn't count. We know that they didn't play a full game. We know that, that you know, once the game was out of control, the Hawks really stopped trying. And that's that's all fine and good. But in the first half, if you just want to extrapolate that again, if the first half in game two duplicates the first half in game one, I'm not going to be impressed by anybody. Because this defense just matches up too well with them. I think the Hawks can score. I think Trey's going to score. But they need other people to complement Trey. It's the only way that they have a shot uh, to win a game here in Miami and steal one. If they could steal one and they go home with a split, you got to feel really good. You got to feel really, really good. I wouldn't say all is lost if they go down 0-2, but you know, it's like Brad Rowland from Locked On Hawks told us yesterday. Winning four out of the next six games already is a tall order, right? Like it, it just winning four out of the last five, yikes. That would take something very, very special. Uh, and and while I it, this isn't a knock on the team, this team isn't special, not as it's currently constructed, uh, and especially not defensively. Then I think you're starting to see in the first round of the NBA playoffs, and you're seeing it across the board, you know, teams that are playing well on both ends of the floor are the ones that are really dominating. Go look at Philadelphia, which may be the most surprising uh, first two games of the series that I saw. I was completely not ready to see Philadelphia be that good defensively uh, in the playoffs against a Toronto team that matches uh, Philadelphia from an athletic standpoint. Again, I know Toronto's got some injuries and everything, but 
Uh, Philadelphia, to me, in the first two games has been incredibly impressive. And oh, by the way, if the Hawks do get past the Miami Heat, that's who they're playing next. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed tonight, folks. Honestly, that's, that's the best thing we can do at this point in time. Let's keep our fingers crossed. If the Hawks get to an early start, I'll feel really good about the way this thing goes. I'm backing the Hawks, getting the seven and a half, or maybe it's even eight now. I'm not even sure I haven't checked this morning yet, but, you know, that's where I am as far as a betting standpoint is concerned uh, because I certainly believe the Hawks will keep this thing close. Whether they can win it, probably a different story, but they've got to get an early lead. I have a hard time believing Miami's going to build an eight-point lead and the defense is all of a sudden going to collapse, right? Like they're going to need – Miami's going to have to go through a very cold shooting stretch and the Hawks are going to have to be able to score at the rate that you can score against Miami's defense to be able to get back into it. Uh, and I don't know that prolonged shooting stretches or prolonged shooting droughts for Miami are the thing because they're too well coached. Eric Spolster knows how to get his way out of that. But let's keep our fingers crossed for how things start in game two tonight. All right, coming up next, uh, we will get to Lauren Jabara of Bally Sports. Uh, she is down in Miami. We'll get a preview of tonight's game. Also, before the end of the show, we'll get back to the Falcons. And Petty Freddy last night hit a home run against the Braves. All that coming up for the end of the show right here on Locked on Sports Atlanta. This is A to Z. It is free on YouTube. And wherever you get your podcast, make sure you search Locked on Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Z here on Locked on Sports Atlanta as we get set for game two of the Hawks and Heat down in Miami. And joining me now from sunny South Florida. You have to see oh, the yeah. background where she is. <laughs> it is Lauren Jabara from Bally Sports. Hawks on Bally. Yeah, boy, look at the background for you, man. It could I mean, be worse, you know, honestly. Could be I mean, worse. You're sitting out. I hear birds. I see the breeze. I mean, you know, God, I want to be in Miami right now. Well, last time we did our show on PixWise, you were sitting outside, my friend, in Orlando yes, before you went to Disney. So this is my time now. It's my time right. to shine. I, I hope you're soaking <laughs> in all the rays, and I hope the Hawks soaked in a ton, soaked in a ton of rest because they were exhausted after Game One. You can tell in the way that game played out. How have they responded so far? I know you went to shoot around this morning. What was the mood? What was the feeling surrounding this team as they head into Game Two? Yeah, the mood was really good, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is how much energy they expended when they were in Cleveland. That's an emotional game. That's a physical game. And then you come in 36 hours later and you're playing a team like the Miami Heat that's number one in the East. And that's a lot of energy that they have to expend in that one too. It's really, really hard to turn around that quickly. And so I feel like coming into this morning, they looked really good. Um, their energy was high, and I feel like everyone mentally and physically needed that day yesterday, and now they're ready to go today. What was the talk about the Miami defense, right, and, like, how stifling they were, how much they were able to suffocate the Hawks? What, what, what did you get a sense that Nate McMillan talked to the team about offensively and how they sort of break out of what looked like a great effort by Miami to choke out this Atlanta offense? Yeah, well, Miami, they're, one of the things that they do is they switch more than any other team. They switch their defenses constantly. And Spo is – he's one of those coaches you always have to be one step ahead of him, right? So I think that's something that they're focusing on today. When you look at the last game, they got a little stagnant on offense. They were taking their first shot, the second shot. This time they want to move the ball, especially movement off the ball, and look at the third, fourth, fifth option. And I think that that's something they're really going to focus on.
we have some technical difficulties. I think we are Lauren's frozen in Miami. I don't know what happened. We'll see if she can get back here in a minute. Uh, looks like we do have her back. Lauren, do we have you? Nope, we don't. We just lost her. Okay, well, we'll get her back here in just a moment as she is having connectivity issues. But nonetheless, uh, the switching is a problem, and they are very, very good at it. And I think that this is a spot where the Hawks have to be able to move the ball very adeptly throughout this game. All right, looks like we have Lauren back. I'm back. I'm sorry. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> That's okay. But go ahead. You were talking about the switching. I want you to finish. Yeah. I mean, basically, they were looking for their – first second option last game this time they need to move the ball move off of the ball look for their third fourth fifth option drive to the rim kick it out get those threes um but i think that's something they're really going to be focusing in in this game lauren when we look at the hawks and the style of play that they have and just sort of what is best for them i said earlier in the show they need to get out early need to get a lead early they need to start fast because it's hard for me to envision this miami team taking a 10-point lead and their defense just sort of giving it back. It would require a long shooting drought, which Miami mm -hmm. is too well coached for them to have that many of. So how important is it? And did Nate McMillan talk to this team about starting fast tonight? Yeah, absolutely. He talked about, you know, in the playoffs, you have to come out with that little extra intensity. And that's exactly what Miami Heat did in game one. But again, they had what, seven, eight? nine days of rest coming into that game where the Hawks had two of their last three games on the road must wins. They won two of those three games. Um, well, actually they won all three, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, what am I talking about? Um, but at the same time, yeah, that is something he talked about in the postseason. You have to come with that extra intensity. Every single possession matters and you need to put that emphasis on every single possession. So you, from the, from the tip off to all the way, 48 minutes, like you really got to focus on every single possession and putting 150% into it. There's nothing that's going to shake Trey Young's confidence. Mm -hmm. We know that. Um, but clearly an eight-point night was not anything that you would have expected from him. Uh, do you see him? Did, did he look any different? Did he react any different? Or is he just the same old Trey? Kind of because, you know, this is a back-against-the-wall kind of feeling for this team in the playoffs. Yeah, the opportunity to talk to him this morning, and he wasn't phased at all. He said, I don't think a lot of people realize how difficult that is, playing such an emotional game like we did against Cleveland, playing a game against the Hornets at home, and then having to play in Houston. They were in, what, four cities in six days, and they yeah. had to win a majority of those games. And so it just takes a physical toll on you. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear kids screaming in the back. Yeah, it's probably an angry Heat fan. I mean, that's, you know, it's got to be, right? <laughs> yeah, they're hearing me talk about the Hogs. Yeah. Um, but he said it's one of those things. Like, you, you don't realize how emotional and physically taxing that is on your body. And having yesterday off, it was not only a physical reset, it was a mental reset for the team, too. And he said – at least, like, we had that first game. We know the intensity they came out with. Now we need to match that coming into today. I don't think he's worried at all. I think it's one of those things where they make little adjustments. And with a league that has such a small margin of error, those little adjustments are really going to make a big impact in game two tonight. And a lot of that is movement off of the ball. Um, so I think if they move off the ball, really help Trey out when he's being double teamed, trapped, 
whatever it might may be. <laughs> I got guys in my background right now. Look at this that. is fun, Zeno. You love to see it. <laughs> I, listen, hey, you know, I, I mean, I am getting in the full Miami experience at this point. If I can't be at the arena, you can bring me the poolside experience of Miami as I'm you. staring at my screen. I love it. <laughs> you know, you talk about Trey and what he's going to do. Like, I have no concerns that Trey will return back to normal tonight, right? And even yeah. if normal tonight totally. is only 24, 25 points, that's fine. But still, my biggest concern is the secondary scoring and where is it coming from? And not just one other player. It's going to have to be two or three other players. Yeah. Ron Collins didn't look like himself offensively nor defensively. He's still coming back from the injury. I think that's fair. But if he's not 100%, then I'm not going to put him at the top of my list of guys who I expect to be secondary scorers and really be effective. So whether it's Hunter, uh, Gallinari, or, or Bogdanovich, somebody mm -hmm. has to make shots early other than Trey to at least start to get the defense's attention. Here's the thing. As I feel like at this point in the season, nobody is at 100%. And John Collins right. even said that. He's like, look, I'm not at 100% right now, but I feel like everyone is dealing with nagging injuries, things that are going on. And so that's something that he has to deal with. And I asked him, you know, with Clint Capella going down, did that give you a little extra motivation to want to come back and be able to help your team out in the postseason? He's like, yeah, at this point, I don't feel like my injuries are going to get any worse. It's just playing through that pain and managing the pain. And I asked him, is it the foot more? Is it the finger more for him? He said, it's actually the finger. It's hard to bend his finger. It's really, really swollen right now. And it's on his right ring finger. So it's a shooting hand. Um, and that's tough when you're shooting the ball, when you go to dunk, when you go to catch, you just want to be a little bit more cautious about that. But at the same time, um, he's the second best rebounder on the Hawks. It's really big to have him back. And I think the biggest thing for him is just getting his lungs and legs underneath him and having that one game to be able to do that. I definitely think he's going to come out and give more minutes and be even stronger tonight. Um, so that's something I'm really looking forward to, but I'm not worried about the secondary scoring. Like they were getting opportunities last game, but shots just weren't falling, especially yeah. from three like bogey and Trey, they were what one of 20. From, the, from beyond the arc. Yeah. That's not normal. And you them. just went where and I was so going next. Yeah, that's the three-point yeah. shooting has got to have. Like, I mean, look, they, they, they're they not a live and die by the three teams, so to speak. Yeah. When their three isn't, threes aren't falling, it just – they look completely out of sorts, the entire offense. I know. And it's one of those things, too, that I think that came from not moving, being stagnant, because – the defense that Miami plays, they are stifling and they are really like, they put a ton of pressure on you all the time. So they're a defense that you have to move off the ball. You can't just be stagnant. And that's one of the biggest things I think that Nate McMillan stressed yesterday at optional practice. And today, this morning at shoot around that the guys need to move, get into your third, fourth, fifth option and create, make them defend, make them shift and take advantage of those shifts. All right. Well, listen, go tell that screaming kid that he <laughs> might be on, but the Hawks are hot, baby. And we are excited <laughs> for game two. Go enjoy the rest of the sunshine. We'll Thanks see you tonight on TV on Valley Sports. Enjoy game two. Let's go, Hawks. Thank you very much, Lauren Jabara. Let's go, Hawks, baby. Thanks, Zeno, for having uh, me on again. I'll talk to you later this week. No problem. Uh, Lauren Jabara again. Um, uh, Valley Sports, Hawks on Valley. All right, uh, we'll come and wrap things up next year. Turn our attention to the Atlanta Falcons and a draft strategy that, well, still has me scratching my head. That's next right here on A to Z on Locked on Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, search Locked on Sports Atlanta. Final segment of A to Z here on this Tuesday. Appreciate you guys joining me. Follow me on Twitter at Mark Zinno. Again, follow Locked on Sports Atlanta on Twitter at Locked on ATL. Check out all the great shows 
in our Locked On Atlanta lineup. Our A to Z hitting hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Benitra Batiste. Also the great Grant McCauley Braves postcast. Of course, Locked On Hawks and Locked On Falcons as well, all right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Thank you guys for making Locked On Sports a part of your daily routine. Uh, wrapping things up here, uh, more Falcons talk as we are getting closer to the draft, less than 10 days away now. And I am getting more and more into this uh, and excited about what the Falcons are going to do. Uh, and I, as I continue just to kind of get as much research and as much you know, uh, information about the draft as I can. And I think the, the staff of The Athletic does a superb job. I love all the writers there. Uh, I think they're very good, b- both for the Atlanta city itself and, and the national writers that are there. Uh, I talked to you last week about how Dane Brugler, who is one of the best draft analysts out there, believes that the Falcons are going to take Malik Willis at eight uh, and believes that the Falcons are going to go get a quarterback. And Malik, Malik Willis is starting to be one of the uh, you know premier names at quarterback, probably going to be the first quarterback off the board. At least that's what Vegas is putting his odds at, being the first quarterback off the board. And so – Uh, I see today that Josh Kendall, who covers the Falcons for the Athletic uh, here in Atlanta, uh, makes his draft predictions, five bold draft predictions. And I'm not, again, not saying anything negative about uh, Josh. Full disclosure, I don't know him. I haven't met him yet. But uh, his first thing he writes is that the number eight pick won't be a quarterback. And let me give you his reasoning. Um, it says Liberty's offense was RPO dependent, and that's going to take some time for Willis to adjust to a pro-style offense. There's no guarantee that he will. He calls him a project. Missing on a quarterback, Willis or anyone else with a top 10 pick, which stay, at this stage would significantly hamstring the rest of the Falcons' rebuild. I can't see them taking a chance on any of these crop of quarterbacks, particularly with potentially elite guys such as C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, looming in 2023. Okay. Uh, it does say, however, in the second round that if Desmond Ritter's around a 43, the Falcons might, might be tempted to take him. I told you repeatedly again, you can't play the, I'll wait till next year because that quarterback class is, uh, is better as a draft philosophy. That's a failing draft philosophy. It just is. There's, there's never a good draft philosophy that involves wait till next year. The draft philosophy is about what is in this draft each year in a vacuum. You can't forecast anything else out. You have to de- deal with what's in front of you. Take the best pick you can at the spot where you're supposed to go, given the information that you have. Plain and simple, right? I mean, in retrospect, do you think that the the Houston Texans would have taken Deshaun Watson again, knowing that he was going to have 22 allegations of sexual misconduct against him down the road? They didn't have that information when they made the draft pick. So you, t- you take the pick. It's the best you could do. Uh, there is another column for The Athletic, a writer for the NFL, and I'm going to butcher this name, so I apologize, but Sheil or Shale Cabada, Capadia, sorry, S H E I L, Capadia, writes 10, the 10 NFL draft commandments how to maximize chances for success and avoid disaster. And the first three are the ones that I want to focus on, particularly two and three. The first one, don't be overconfident in your ability to evaluate talent. That makes a ton of sense, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, uh, you have to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are. There are a lot of teams that struggle to evaluate talent at certain positions. The Ravens forever have struggled at quarterback. The Giants have struggled at linebacker. The Falcons have struggled in the trenches. Like these are things that, you know, GMs have blind spots. Every GM has blind spots. Good ones and bad ones. They all blind spots. They just miss in certain spots. So I think that's understandable. That said, um, let me get to two more of the rules. One of them is only take big swings when targeting a quarterback. Hello. I mean, you're taking a big swing at eight on a quarterback. That's what you're supposed to do, right? You don't take a huge swing on a left tackle. 
it, it, that left tackle better be Jonathan Ogden or Orlando Pace. And you better know that, right? If you're going to take a, 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 a defensive interior lineman, you better be Aaron Donald. And you better know that. So taking big swings on quarterback is the right thing to do. And the first sentence, quarterback right now is all about upside. If you're looking for competency, you can't find it at a relatively inexpensive cost. Exactly. Competency at quarterback is easier than ever to find. It's never mattered less. But if you don't have a top-level guy, you're going to have difficulty achieving sustained success, which is what every franchise is chasing. Yeah. If you don't have a top-level guy, you're going to have difficulty achieving success. Duh. When you do a rebuild, start with the quarterback. This is what I said. But yet we have people covering the team saying they're not going to take one. So tell me what the draft strategy is then. The writer continues, teams in the quarterback market should ask themselves two questions when evaluating a quarterback prospect. One, what is the prospect's upside? Two, how likely is that prospect to reach the upside? Well, Malik Willis' upside, woo all the way up here, right? Way up there. I don't think we're going to doubt the upside of Malik Willis. All the way up here. What is the likelihood that they can reach that upside? Well, that sort of leads to the next rule in the commandment of drafting, which is right here. Properly assess the abilities of your coaching staff. Do you have the right coach to develop the talented quarterback? Hello again. Isn't that why you brought Arthur Smith here? Because he rejuvenated Ryan Tannehill's career because he brought an offense that was unique that was effective, that was the perfect combination of running and passing, that had a power run game, had big, strong wide receivers on the outside, had a quarterback with a big arm. Didn't Isn't that the reason that Arthur Smith got this job? Because of his ability to be able to create that offensively? Now, if you're passing on a quarterback, and particularly Malik Willis, who's, again, projected to be the first quarterback off the board if he doesn't go, you're saying one of two things. Malik Willis doesn't have upside or our coaches can't work with him. Our coaches can't make him better because of what his skill set is because that's not what our coaches do well. That's what that says to me. I trust Arthur Smith. What, what Arthur Smith did last year, going 7-10, and 10, honestly, uh, it, it was nothing short of impressive. It, you can't think otherwise. You can't feel otherwise. You weren't paying attention. That roster sucked. It was bad. And somehow he managed to squeeze 10 games out of it with an offense that couldn't even average 20 points a game. Somehow he managed to squeeze, uh, you know, seven wins out of that team. So I, I don't get it. I mean, you know, I, I for me, it's one of those deals where uh, I trust Arthur Smith. And if you give him a quarterback like Malik Willis, I trust the fact that he can coach him up. And like I said, and I'll say it repeatedly, if you miss with Malik Willis, just go draft another one next year. What is the what is the loss? Swing big again. Do the Babe Ruth thing. Swing a big miss on first strike, boom. Swing big miss, second strike, boom. I mean, you know, you might hit a home run. I, I don't want to tell you. Like, there's no other way around this. You have to address the quarterback first. It's troublesome to me that that is not the opinion or at least what I'm perceiving from people who are covering the Falcons on a routine basis, it's troubling to me that the people that they talk to don't want to execute that same philosophy. That, to me, is problematic going forward.
Uh, final thought here, Freddie Freeman last night hits a home run in his first at-bat against the Braves, and boy, was he emotional. Petty Freddie. I'm happy for him. I hope your Braves fans are happy for him. I wasn't happy the Braves lost last night, but hope you guys are happy for him. And can we please stop overreacting to the Braves having a sluggish start? Please. Can we? Can we this is still going on, and it's getting very, very frustrating. Okay? They haven't even played at 10% of the season yet. Can, can we just stop? And a radio host, can you stop doing that? A couple of you I'm talking to, you know who you are. So uh, it just, there's no reason to get excited about any of this at this point in time. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. If they're a good organization and they are, if they're well run and they are, if they have talent and they do, they'll be fine. Barring injuries, they'll be fine. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we have a huge rest of the week as we get ready for the NFL draft. And uh, we'll try to get some more Braves baseball talking here with Grant McCauley coming up this week. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter at Mark Zeno. Follow Locked On Sports ATL at Locked On ATL. Wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta free on YouTube. Thank you guys for joining me today. Have a great day. Don't get any crap, anybody. See you.